Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of the Course in Miracles original edition, published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net. Or if you mouse to the link top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same website, there's an option called Lesson Sign Up, where you can sign up to receive both the daily text, reading, and the lesson for the day from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we are continuing a reading of Chapter 4, The Rid of All Evil, with Section 3, The Ego and False Autonomy. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 40. I am blessed as a son of God. And by way of opening this morning, I was directed to another poem from Paralyzed Samadon in his book, Forty Prayers, called The Nest of Nearness. An old friend of yours told me that my heart is like a bird in the world of desire, flying in the air of seeking, until it lands in the nest of nearness to you. I fold my wings. The nest is lined with the soft down of silence, held in the infinite tree of your presence. I didn't know it would be like this. Where I come from, people are lonely. They hurry past your beauty, fearing death. I used to be like them, afraid of heights, until you gave my heart these wings. Now I don't ask to be comforted. That would keep me scared and needy. Now there is no edge to the peace of my happiness and yours. I am blessed as a son of God. Amen. Oh, thank you for that. Well did. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. Yeah. It's a great poem. Great poem. Thanks, guys. Okay, here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Fran, Robin Marie, Karen, and Donna. We're joined in listening this morning by Mindy and Ida. Has anyone else joined us that would like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Okay, well, welcome, and we'll go ahead and undertake Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, with Section 3, The Ego and False Autonomy, starting with Paragraph 24, and we'll read through 40. 24. You have asked lately how the mind could ever have made the ego. This is a perfectly reasonable question. In fact, the best question you could ask. There is, however, no point in giving an historical answer because the past does not matter in human terms and history would not exist if the same errors were not being repeated in the present. Abstract thought applies to knowledge because knowledge is completely impersonal 
and examples are irrelevant to its understanding. Perception, however, is always specific and therefore quite concrete. Lemoyne. Okay. All right, chapter four, the root of all evil. Section three, the ego and false autonomy. You have asked lately how the mind could have, could ever have made the ego. This is a perfectly reasonable question. In fact, the best question you could ask. There is, however, no point in giving an historical answer because the past does not matter in human terms and history would not exist if the same errors were not being repeated in the present. Abstract thought applies to knowledge because knowledge is completely impersonal and examples are irrelevant to its understanding. Perception, however, is always specific and therefore quite concrete. Each man makes one ego for himself, although it is subject to enormous variation because of its instability, and one for everyone he perceives, which is equally variable. Their interaction is a process which literally alters both because they were not made either by or with the unalterable. It is particularly important to realize that this alteration can and does occur as readily when the inter interaction takes place in the mind as when it involves physical presence. Thinking about another ego is as effective in changing relative perception as is physical interaction. There could be no better example of the fact that the ego is an idea, though not a reality-based thought. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Fran? 25. Each man makes one ego for himself, although it is subject to enormous variation because of its instability, and one for everyone he perceives, which is equally variable. Their interaction is a process which literally alters both because they were not made either by or with the unalterable. It is particularly important to realize that this alteration can and does occur as readily when the interaction takes place in the mind as when it involves physical presence. Thinking about another ego is as effective in changing relative perception as is physical interaction. There could be no better example of the fact that the ego is an idea, though not a reality-based thought. 26. Your own present state is a good example of how the mind made the ego. You do have knowledge at times, but when you throw it away, it is as if you never had it. This willfulness is so apparent 
that one need only perceive it to see that it does happen. If it can occur that way in the present, why is it surprising that it occurred that way in the past? Psychology rests on the principle of the continuity of behavior. Surprise is a reasonable response to the unfamiliar, but hardly to something that has occurred with such persistence. I am using your present state as an example of how the mind can work, provided you fully recognize that it need not work that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why are you surprised that something happened in the dim past when it is so clearly happening right now? Thank you, Fran. And Robin Marie. 26. Your own present state is a good example of how the mind made the ego. You do have knowledge at times, but when you throw it away, it is as if you never had it. This willfulness is so apparent that one need only perceive it to see that it does happen. If it can occur that way in the present, why is it surprising that it occurred that way in the past? Psychology rests on the principle of the continuity of behavior. Surprise is a reasonable response to the unfamiliar, but hardly to something that has occurred with such persistence. I am using your present state as an example of how the mind can work, provided you fully recognize that it need not work that way. Why are you surprised that something happened in the past, in the dim past, when it is, why are you surprised that something happened in the dim past when it is so clearly happening right now? 27. You forget the love that animals have for their own offspring and the need they feel to protect them. This is because they regard them as part of themselves. No one disowns something he regards as a very real part of himself. Man reacts to his ego much as God does to his souls, with love, protection, and great charity. The reaction of man to the self he made is not at all surprising. In fact, it duplicates in many ways how he will one day react to his real creations which are as timeless as he is. The question is not how man responds to his ego, but what he believes he is. Thank you, Robin Marie and Karen. 27. You forget the love that animals have their, for their own offspring and the need they feel to protect them. This is because they regard them as part of themselves. No one disowns something he regards as a very real part of himself. Man reacts to his ego much as God does to his souls, with love, protection, and great charity. The reaction of man to the self he made is not at all surprising. In fact, it duplicates in many ways how he will one day react to his real creations, which are as timeless as he is. 
The question is not how man responds to his ego, but what he believes he is. 28. Belief is an ego function. And as long as your origin is open to belief at all, you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. That is why the Bible quotes me as saying, quote, ye believe in God, believe also in me, unquote. Belief does apply to me because I am the teacher of the ego. When teaching is no longer necessary, you will merely know God. Belief that there is another way is the loftiest idea of which ego thinking is capable. That is because it contains a hint of recognition that the ego is not the self. Undermining the ego's thought system must be perceived as painful, even though this is anything but true. Babies scream in rage if you take away a knife or a scissors, even though they may, may well harm themselves if you do not. The speed up has placed you in the same position. Thank you, Karen. And Donna. 28. Belief. Belief. Belief is an ego function. And as long as your origin is open to belief at all, you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. That is why the Bible quotes me as saying, quote, we believe in God, believe also in me, unquote. Belief does not apply to me because I am the teacher of the ego. When teaching is no longer necessary, you will merely know God. Belief that there is another way is the loftiest idea of which ego thinking is capable. That is because it contains a hint of recognition that the ego is not the self. Undermining the ego's thought system must be perceived as painful, even though this is anything but true. Babies scream in rage when you take away a knife or scissors even though they may well harm themselves if you do not. The speed-up has placed you in the same position. 29. You are not prepared, and in this sense, you are babies. You have no sense of real self-preservation and are very likely to decide that you need precisely what would hurt you most. Whether you know it now or not, however, you have willed to cooperate in a concerted and very commendable effort to become both harmless and helpful. Two attributes which must go together. Your attitudes, even toward this, are necessarily conflicted because all 
attitudes are ego-based. This will not last. Be patient a while and remember that the outcome is as certain as God. Thank you, Donna. And would there be a new reader for 29 and 30? I can read, Lori. It's Lana. Oh, thank you, Lana. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, 29. You are not prepared, and in this sense, you are babies. You have no sense of real self-preservation and are very likely to decide that you need precisely what would hurt you most. Whether you know it now or not, however, you have willed to cooperate in a concerted and very commendable effort to become both harmless and helpful to attributes which must go together. Your attitudes even towards this are necessarily conflicted because all attitudes are ego-based. This will not last. Be patient a while and remember that the outcome is as certain as God. 30. Only those who have a real and lasting sense of abundance can be truly charitable. This is quite obvious when you consider the concepts involved. To the ego, to give something implies that you will do without it. When you associate giving with sacrifice, then you give only because you believe that you are somehow getting something better so that you can do without the thing you give. Giving to get, in quotes, is an inescapable law of the ego, which always evaluates itself in relation to other egos and is therefore continually preoccupied with the scarcity principle which gave rise to it. This is the meaning of Freud's reality principle, in quotes, since Freud thought of the ego as very weak and deprived, capable of functioning only as a thing in need. Thank you, Lana. And is there another new reader for 30 and 31? Okay, back to you, Lemoyne. Only those who have a real and lasting sense of abundance can be truly charitable. This is quite obvious when you consider the concepts involved. To the ego, to give anything implies that you will do without it. When you associate giving with sacrifice, then you give only because you believe you are somehow getting something better so that you can do without the thing you give. Quote, unquote, giving to get is an inescapable law of the ego, which always evaluates, it, 
which always evaluates itself in relation to other egos and is therefore continually preoccupied with the scarcity principle which gave rise to it. This is the meaning of Freud's, quote, reality principle, unquote, since Freud thought of the ego as very weak and deprived, capable of functioning only as a thing in need. The, quote-unquote, reality principle of the ego is not real at all. The ego is forced to perceive the, quote, reality of other egos because it cannot establish the reality of itself. In fact, its whole perception of other egos is... Okay. In fact, its whole perception of other egos as real is only an attempt to convince itself that it is real. Self-esteem, in ego terms, means nothing more than that the ego has deluded itself into accepting its reality and is therefore temporarily less predatory. This seeming self-esteem is always vulnerable to stress, a term which actually refers to a condition in which the delusion of the ego's reality is threatened. This produces either ego deflation or ego inflation, with resulting in either withdrawal or attack. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Fran. 31. The quote reality principle unquote, of the ego is not real at all. The ego is forced to perceive the quote reality of other egos because it cannot establish the reality of itself. In fact, its whole perception real is only an attempt to convince itself that it is real. Self-esteem, quotes, in ego terms means nothing more than deluded itself into accepting its reality and is therefore temporary less predatory. This, quote, self-esteem is always vulnerable to stress, a term which actually refers to a condition which is either ego deflation or ego inflation, resulting in either withdrawal or attack. 32. It lives by comparisons. This means that equality is beyond its grasp and charity becomes impossible. The ego never gives out of abundance because it was made as a substitute for it. That is why the concept of, quote, getting arose in the ego's thought system. All appetites are getting mechanisms representing the ego's need to confirm itself. This is as true of bodily appetites as it is of the so-called, quote, higher ego needs. Bodily appetites are not physical in origin. The ego regards the body as its home and does try to satisfy itself through the body. But the idea that this is possible is a decision of the ego, which is completely confused about what is really possible. This accounts for its erratic nature. Thank you, Fran. And Robin Marie. 
32. The ego literally lives by comparisons. This means that equality is beyond its grasp and charity becomes impossible. The ego never gives out of abundance because it was made as a substitute for it. That is why the concept of, quote, getting, unquote, arose in the ego's thought system. All appetites are, quote, getting, unquote, mechanisms representing the ego's need to confirm itself. This is as true of bodily appetites as it is of the so-called, quote, higher, unquote, ego needs. Bodily appetites are not physical in origin. The ego regards the body as its home and does try to satisfy itself through the body. But the idea that this is possible is a decision of the ego, which is completely confused about what is really possible. This accounts for its erratic nature. 33. The ego believes it is completely on its own, which is merely another way of describing how it originated. This is such a fearful state that it can only turn to other egos and try to unite with them in a feeble attempt at identification or attack or attack them in an equally feeble show of strength. It is not free, however, to consider the validity of the premise itself because this premise is its foundation. The ego is the belief of the mind that it is completely on its own. Its ceaseless attempts to gain the soul's acknowledgement and thus to establish its own existence are utterly useless. Thank you, Robin Marie and Karen. 33. Ego believes it is completely on its own, which is merely another way of describing how it originated. This is such a fearful state that it can only turn to other egos and try to unite with them in a feeble attempt at identification or attack them in an equally feeble show of strength. It is not free, however, to consider the validity of the premise itself because this premise is its foundation. The ego is the belief of the mind that it is completely on its own. It ceaselessly attempts to gain the soul's acknowledgement and thus to establish its own existence are, are utterly useless. I'm going to be read. Its ceaseless attempts to gain the soul's acknowledgement and thus to establish its own existence are utterly useless. 34. The soul, in its knowledge, is unaware of the ego. It does not attack it. It merely cannot conceive of it at all. While the ego is equally unaware of the soul, it does perceive itself as rejected by, quote, something, unquote, which is greater than itself. 
This is why self-esteem in ego terms must be a delusion. The creations of God do not create myths. Although the creative efforts of man can turn to mythology, it can do so, however, only under one condition. What man then makes is no longer creative. Myths are entirely perception and are so ambiguous in form and so characteristically good and evil in nature that the most benevolent of them is not without fearful components, if only by innuendo. Thank you, Karen. And Donna? 34. The soul, in its knowledge, is unaware of the ego. It does not attract it. It merely cannot conceive of it at all. While the ego is equally unaware of the soul, it does perceive itself as rejected by, quote, something, end quote, which is greater than itself. This is why self, this is why self-esteem in ego terms must be delusional. The creations of God do not create myths although the creative efforts of man can turn to mythology. It can do so, however, only under one condition. What man then makes is no longer creative. Myths are entirely perceptions and are so ambiguous in form and so characteristically good and evil in nature that the most benevolent of them is not without fearful components, if only by innuendo. 35. Myths and magic are closely associated in that myths are usually related to the ego origins and magic to the powers, which the ego ascribes to itself. Every mythological system includes some account of the quote of quote the creation end quote and associates this with its particular perception of magic. The quote battle of survival end quote is nothing more than the ego's struggle to preserve itself and its interpretation of its own being. This beingness is always associated with physical birth because no one maintains that the ego existed before that point in time. The religiously ego-oriented believe that the soul existed before and will continue to exist afterwards, after a temporary lapse in ego life. Some actually believe that the soul will be punished for this lapse, even though in reality it could not possibly know anything about it. Thank you, Donna. And would there be a new reader for 35 and 36?
New reader for 35 and 36. Okay, back to you, Lemoyne. Oh, wait now. Lana read after Donna, didn't she? I'm sorry. Lana, 35 and 36. Okay, thank you. I'm 35. Myths and magic are closely associated in that myths are usually related to the ego origins and magic to the powers which the ego ascribes to itself. Every mythological system includes some account of the creation, in quotes, and associates this with its particular perception of magic. The, in quotes, battle for survival is nothing more than the ego's struggle to persevere, to preserve itself, and its interpretation of its own beginning. This beginning is always associated with physical birth because no one maintains that the ego existed before that point in time. The religiously ego-oriented belief that the soul existed before and will continue to exist afterwards after a temporary lapse in ego life Some actually believe that the soul will be punished for this lapse, even though in reality it could not possibly know anything about it. 36. The term, in quotes, salvation does not apply to the soul, which is not in danger and does not need to be salvaged. Salvation is nothing more than right-mindedness which is not the one-mindedness of the soul, but which must be accomplished before one-mindedness can be restored. Right-mindedness dictates the next step automatically because right perception is uniformly without attack so that wrong-mindedness is obliterated. The ego cannot survive without judgment and is laid aside accordingly. Let me read that again. The ego cannot survive without judgment and is laid aside accordingly. The mind, then, has only one direction in which it can move. The direction which the mind will take is always automatic because it cannot but be directed by the thought system to which the mind adheres. Thank you, Lana. And would there be another new reader then for 36 and 37? Okay, Lemoyne, back to you. The term salvation does not apply to the soul, which is not in danger and does not need to be salvaged. Salvation is nothing more than right-mindedness, which is not the one-mindedness of the soul, but which must be accomplished before one-mindedness can be restored. Right-mindedness 
dictates the step, excuse me, right-mindedness dictates the next step automatically because right perception is uniformly without attack so that wrong-mindedness is obliterated. The ego cannot survive without judgment and is laid aside accordingly. The mind then has only one direction in which it can move. The direction which the mind will take is always automatic because it cannot but be dictated by the thought system to which the mind adheres. Every thought system has internal consistency and this provides the basis for the continuity of behavior. However, this is a matter of reliability and not validity. <clears throat> Reliable behavior is a meaningful perception as far as ego thinking goes. However, valid behavior is an expression which is inherently contradictory because validity is an end and behavior is a mean. These cannot be combined logically because when an end has been attained, the means for its attainment are no longer meaningful. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Fran. 37. Every thought system has internal consistency, and this provides the basis for the continuity of behavior. However, this is a matter of reliability and not validity. Quote, reliable behavior is a meaningful perception as far as ego thinking goes. However, quote, valid behavior is an expression which is inherently contradictory because validity is an end and behavior is a means. These cannot be combined logically because when an end has been attained, the means for its attainment are no longer meaningful. 38. A hypothesis is either false or true, to be accepted or rejected accordingly. If it is shown to be true, it becomes a fact, after which no one attempts to evaluate it unless its status as fact is questioned. Every idea to which the ego has accorded the status of fact is questionable, because facts are in the realm of knowledge. Thank you, Fran. And Robin Marie. 38. A hypothesis is either false or true, to be accepted or rejected accordingly. If it is shown to be true, it becomes a fact, after which no one attempts to evaluate it unless its status as, as fact is questioned. Every idea to which the ego has accorded the status of fact is questionable because facts are in the realm of knowledge. 39. Confusing realms of discourse is a thinking error which philosophers have recognized for centuries. Psychologists are generally quite deficient in this respect, as are many theologians. 
Data from one realm of discourse do not mean anything in another because they can be understood only within the thought system of which they are a part. That is why psychologists are concentrating increasingly on the ego in an attempt to unify their clearly unrelated data. It need hardly be said that an attempt to relate the unrelated cannot succeed. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Karen. 39. Confusing realms of discourse is a thinking error, which philosophers have recognized for centuries. Psychologists are generally quite deficient in this respect, as are many theologians. Data from one realm of discourse do not mean anything in another because they can be understood only within the thought system of which they are a part. That is why psychologists are concentrating increasingly on the ego in an attempt to unify their clearly unrelated data. It need hardly be said that an attempt to relate the unrelated cannot succeed. The more recent ecological emphases are but another ingenious way of trying to impose order on chaos. We have already credited the ego with considerable ingenuity, though not with creativeness. It should, however, be remembered that inventiveness is really wasted effort, even in its most ingenious forms. We do not have to explain anything. That is why we need not trouble ourselves with inventiveness. The highly specific nature of invention is not worthy of the abstract creativity of God's creation. Thank you, Karen. I'm Donna. 40. The more recent ecological emphasis are but another ingenious way of trying to impose order on chaos. We have already credited the ego with considerable ingenuity, though not with creativeness. It should, however, be remembered that inventiveness is really wasted effort, even in its most ingenious forms. We do not have to explain anything. This is why we need not trouble ourselves with inventiveness. The highly specific nature of invention is not worthy of the abstract creativity of God's creations. Thank you, Donna, and thank you, everyone who read this morning. A long section, um, so I'll highlight a few ideas. Importantly, in paragraph 24, he wants us to know that abstract thought applies to knowledge because knowledge is completely impersonal and examples are irrelevant to its understanding. Contrast, perception, is always specific and therefore quite concrete. 
1925, each man makes money go for himself, although it is subject to enormous variation because of its instability, and one for everyone he perceives, which is equally variable. Their interaction is a process which literally alters both because they were not made either by or with the unalterable. Thinking about another ego is as effective in changing relative perception as is physical interaction. And this is an excellent example of how the ego is an idea, though not a reality-based thought. In 27, he wants us to know that man reacts to his ego much as God does to his souls with love, protection, and great charity. But the question is not how man responds to his ego, but what he believes he is. In 28, belief is an ego function. And as long as your origin is open to belief at all, you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. Belief that there is another way is the loftiest idea of which ego thinking is capable because it contains a hint of recognition that the ego is not the self. Undermining the ego's thought system must be perceived as painful, even though this is anything but true. 29. Whether you know it or not, you have will to cooperate in a concerted and commendable effort to become both harmless and helpful, two attributes which must go together. Your attitudes, though, even toward this, are necessarily conflicted because all attitudes are ego-based. This will not last. Be patient a while. Remember, the outcome is as certain as God. In 30, only those who have a real and lasting sense of abundance can be truly charitable. But giving to get is an escapable law of the ego which always evaluates itself in relation to other egos and is therefore continually preoccupied with the scarcity principle which gave rise to it. In 30, no, 31, the ego is forced to perceive the quote-unquote reality of other egos because it cannot establish the reality of itself. In fact, its whole perception of other egos is as real, is only an attempt to convince itself that it is real. 32, it literally lives by comparisons. And the ego never gives out of abundance because it was made as a substitute for it. <clears throat> and the ego regards the body as its home. 33, the ego believes it is completely on its own which is merely another way of describing how it originated. This is such a fearful state that it can only turn to other egos and try to unite with them in a feeble attempt at identification or attack them in an equally feeble show of strength. It is not free, however, to consider the validity of the premise itself, this premise of emptiness, because this premise is its foundation the ego is the belief of the mind that it is completely on its own. Its ceaseless attempts to gain the soul's acknowledgement and thus to establish its own existence are utterly useless. 
In contrast, 34, the soul in its knowledge is unaware of the ego. It does not attack it at all. It merely cannot conceive of it at all. And while the ego is equally unaware of the soul, it does perceive itself as rejected by something. And this is why self-esteem in ego terms must be a delusion. Myths and magic are closely associated in that myths are usually ascribed to ego origins and magic to the powers which the ego ascribes to itself. And here we go in 36. <clears throat> the term salvation does not apply to the soul which is not in danger and does not need to be salvaged. Salvation is nothing more than right-mindedness which is not the one-mindedness of the soul, but which must be accomplished before one-mindedness can be restored. Right-mindedness dictates the next step automatically because right perception is uniformly without attack so that wrong-mindedness is obliterated. The ego cannot survive without judgment and just laid aside accordingly. The mind then has only one direction in which it can move. The direction which the mind will take is always automatic because it cannot but be dictated by the thought system to which the mind adheres. In 37, every thought system has internal consistency and this provides the basis for the continuity of behavior. In 38, every idea to which the ego has accorded the status of fact is questionable because facts are in the realm of knowledge. 39, confusing realms of discourse is a thinking error. Data from one realm of discourse does not mean anything in another because they can be understood only within the thought system of which they are a part. <clears throat> An attempt to relate the unrelated cannot succeed. And finally, in 40, the highly specific nature of invention is not worthy of the abstract creativity of God's creations. Ego and false autonomy. There you have it. And let's see. Um, trying to. Oh gosh, boy, it was a long reading, wasn't it? Um, let's let's take a pause right now and put a punctuation mark on this soul with "I am blessed as a son of God." <laughs> Fran, we're so glad you're here today. Turn it over to you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I'm here too. And boy, that was a long reading, but that was good. Thank you for that. I get um, Hi, everybody. We are in the first part of the workbook, and today we are on Lesson 40. I am blessed as a son of God. So I shall read some from the lesson. Today... We will begin to assert some of the happy things to which you are entitled, being what you are. No long practice periods are required today, but very frequent short ones are necessary. One every 10 minutes would be highly desirable. Whenever you remember, try. You need not close your eyes for the exercise periods although you will probably find it more helpful if you do. You can practice quite well under almost any circumstance if you really want to. Today's exercises take little time and no effort. 
Repeat today's idea and then add several of the attributes which you associate with being a son of God. Applying them to yourself. One practice period might, for example, consist of the following. I am blessed as a son of God. I am happy, peaceful, loving, and contented. Another might be something as followed. I am blessed as a son of God. I am calm, quiet, assured, and confident. If only a brief period is available, merely telling yourself that you are blessed as a son of God will do. So we'll take a moment and reflect on this. Lesson 40, I am blessed as a son of God. Today we will begin to assert some of the happy things to which you are entitled, being what you are. Lesson 40, I am blessed as the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, friend. Love every part you highlighted. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you, Fran. That was lovely. Thank you, Laurie, too, for your recap. Thanks, Fran. I love how he tells us to keep trying and don't get upset when you forget. If you forget, just try again. When you remember, try again. <laughs> Just keep trying all day, and don't get upset with yourself if you forget. Oh, wow. I love it. I'm complete. Yeah. Thanks, Fran. No guilt at all. Thank you. This is Donna. I'm trying to figure out if uh, <clears throat> if I woke up hungry today and my coffee gave me uh, what the you know the coffee nerves where you're kind of trembling all over, or if that's that how powerful this reading was for me. I, it occurred to me we could read this reading over until Jesus comes back and uh, <clears throat> and. Uh, 
and it would probably still have that effect on me. Lovely definition of history. Uh, it's just so refreshing. The definition of history is repeating errors and an awareness that knowledge is impersonal and that the ego is a made idea. And I love the analogy with the, uh, with the birds, how the bird sees it. Everything is a part of itself, which is mind-blowing. And what I got from... I've never spent so much time with the, <laughs> with the ego. But it's been uh, refreshing and enlightening. And, and I took some, some notes... The ego is the result of not remembering, requiring, every repeating of history. It is a belief system made in error. Ego function in belief. And uh, ego functions in belief and not in knowing. Ego is unreality, meaning not real. Ego maintains perception thinking. Ego is based solely on a belief system that does not in reality exist. And then I made a two little two-sided, uh, two-sided, um, put a pencil drawing down the middle. And on one side, knowledge knows, knowledge is sane, and knowledge knows oneness, and knowledge needs no protection. Ego believes, ego is insane, ego feels rejection, and attacks to survive. I am complete. That was just excellent, Donna. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. Thank you, Donna. It's a great, it's a great comparison contrast. Um, very much emphasis on the contrast <clears throat> between ego and and ego thought system and the thought system of truth. Hi, this is Robin Marie. Um, I had a question about the last paragraph 40 about invention. And I'm thinking that um, if a scientist creates, you know, maybe the word would be creates, a telescope to be able to see what's out in the stars, that would be a creation. And in, invention would be something that, um, if it's not worthy of the abstract creativity of God's creations, it would be a 
something that would be harmful. And that, so that word invention um, was stumbling to me, if you, could, uh, if you could explain it, because I think that, you know, some quote-unquote inventions actually uh, expound on God's creativity, and so they're very creative. So I don't quite understand that sentence. Yeah, you make an excellent point, Robin Marie. Um, the point being, here's the way I look at it today. Um, here is here is Jesus in his um, what we can think of as expanded consciousness and total awareness of truth, and he's trying to um, elucidate or shed some light on how two psychologists whose whose every effort is directed at understanding the nature of mind in a way that it becomes predictive of behavior. And in the contrast, he's making the point that the ego as an entity believed in by two psychologists whose entire effort has been trying to explain what it is and what it does and what it's for, um, sources at its own idea, its own belief that it's separate and because it is, it has to explain how it came to be and what it is and what it does. And so much effort has gone into the field of psychology to explain all this um, to the point of even embracing, uh, though not adequate, the belief that um, mythology can explain the origin of a person and can also describe the magic or powers associated with a person. In all that effort and all that inventiveness, it still hasn't arrived at a reliable and valid description of what a person is. Neither valid in terms of um, truth, nor reliable in terms of truth-predicting behavior. All that inventiveness still hasn't explained what a person is in spite of okay. its efforts. Okay, I, I see what I did. I, I took the word out of context. So, yeah, yeah. I understand now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. okay. Uh, uh, my brain went to, you know, a, a totally different, non-related spot to what was being spoken of. Okay, thank you very much. I'm, I'm back on, on track. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. And, and you know, what it does, uh, what that little discussion just did is describe the, the very difference, um, the essential difference between perception and knowledge. Knowledge has, knowledge is, it has no need to be explained because it's entirely valid, it's entirely reliable and entirely true and entirely consistent throughout. Perception is what we use in order to try to describe all of that. And in spite of the effort, um, we can't get there. And so right in the middle of this reading, he says, 
right-mindedness. Right-mindedness is a reasonable goal for the ego to um, accede to. In other words, uh, give up give up its belief in separation and try to understand that there is a reasonable thing that can be achieved by the mind with guidance that would be right-mindedness it's not one-mindedness but it's correct perception a correct understanding i think is probably the the kernel of kernel of the kernel uh, that we can take from this reading it's the way out if I can achieve right-mindedness I've discovered a way out of this closed system in which the ego believes it's entirely on its own so that's my takeaway yeah. today I'm complete. I, I put a little heart and I got <laughs> salvation is nothing more than right like it. Thank you. Thank you. You pointed straight at it. <laughs> that was great. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you both. That yes, really thank you both. Laurie, that was very wonderful what you shared. I mean, it just brought such clarity to um this reading um uh it was uh this reading is one of the, i don't know about you guys but for me it's one of those sections where i i'm called to stop after just about every sentence <laughs> and reflect upon it you know it's so jam-packed with with um you know it uh in giving me so many um like you say nuggets of truth and um, I love that it it says uh, it tells us that we not only make an ego for ourselves, but we make one for every brother. And so you, I can see where communication would be, or true communication would be impossible with all these um, misperceptions flying around in every direction, you know, and trying to make sense of that. Um, and um, there's another part of the course, I believe it's in the Urtext, where Jesus talks about this getting mechanism and it being the most challenging to let go of because the ego's thought system is is so based on scarcity and loss and the fear of loss, which which really is a fundamental fear. You know, losing our health, losing our marriage, losing um, any type of important relationship losing her sanity you know it's um it's all about uh loss so the ego's way of dealing with that is to get you know just keep getting 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 um um it's it's um it talks about uh giving to get you know a lot of times we'll see that in special relationships and um, another aspect of the reading towards the end where he talks about um, you know the soul doesn't need salvation you know and and um, and really there's no communication between the soul and the ego um, neither is aware of it and it goes back to that original mad idea where, where we remembered not to laugh 
and when we're in one thought system, we become oblivious to the other. You know, it's um, you know, and I shared before you when I'm functioning or aligned with ego, I can't hear nor can I experience anything of truth. And when I'm in spirit or right-mindedness, the whole idea of ego seems to be uh, just a crazy idea that, you know, I question how could I ever buy into that. You know, but <laughs> when we're in one, uh, we become blind to the other. So when we remembered not to laugh and, and took uh, the idea of separation as a serious idea, we left knowledge and we became perceivers which is never an accurate, even in true perception, it's still perception. Um, we get more of a reflection of God's love, but it's still a reflection. It doesn't, um, you know, God takes that final step for us when we transition from right-mindedness into knowledge. So um, just jam-packed with goodies, and, and you expounded, Laurie, so beautifully on on just the overview of the whole section. Um, so, you know, thank you again for that. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Anna. You highlighted the, the real features of comparison so well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. Well, you know, I, I said comparison contrast, but um, that's really not accurate uh, when I think of it, <clears throat> because as you say, uh, the scarcity principle governs everything in the ego thought system. <clears throat> and how can you uh, compare total everything <laughs> with total nothing? You know, they are two entirely different things. There's no basis for comparison at all. And that's uh, the nature of this discussion. Yeah, <laughs> there is no basis for comparison. They're entirely, um, they are entirely different in every way, in origin, in nature, and in outcome. Um, one based on entirely uh, having to write a story because everything's unknown, and so it's all guesswork and misassociating or miscorrelating this with that um, in a way that only adds more confusion compared to knowledge, which is um, my favorite definition of knowledge is unmediated experience. That, uh, for example, um, that to me, the greatest example is the word bless. When I think of the word bless as an attribute in today's lesson, I am blessed as a son of God. I don't need an explanation for that. When I feel blessed, when I am in blessing or offering blessing, I know exactly what I'm talking about. It's direct and it's unmediated. I don't need anyone to explain it to me, nor is it personal. Um, it's it's not blessing here, but not a uh, blessing there. Um, that's another better way to say that. It's as true here as it is there. It's consistent. Um, 
inexperience. It doesn't uh, change. Yeah. My perception of blessed or blessed is unchangeable because it's unmediated and it can be experienced in any setting, anywhere, anytime, independent of um, discrete variables. <laughs> Knowledge is direct and unmediated. We know. We know what it is. Another good example, um, if you look at characteristics of God's teachers, we don't necessarily need a definition of honesty or generosity or tolerance or open-mindedness or trust. We know what that is. We don't need someone to tell us what it is. It's a direct experience that we just know. Um, those are good examples of abstract um, thought. I think in comparison, the ego uh, makes it up as it goes along, you know. <laughs> I thought of a really good one <clears throat> when we were talking about inventiveness um, and misassociating data from one realm of discourse into another. A good example would be um, more ice cream is eaten in the summertime. In the summertime, there are more shark attacks. Therefore, shark attacks and ice cream are related. That's the kind of thinking that the ego engages in all the time, correlating or associating unrelated variables because it writes the story as it goes along based on discrete and specific um, references. He wants us to know that as a son of God, we need not think that way. There are no limitations um, in the thought system of truth. Truth is true, and it's true throughout. It's not changeable, and we understand truth when we have access to it. Um, we don't need an explanation for it because it's viscerally uh, resonant in a way that uh, has nothing to do with perception at all. I'm complete. Oh, that was great. Thank you. Loved it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you, Lori. That was really, really um, interesting. I think what I was taking away from what you were just saying, this is Karen, by the way, was um, the ego interprets all the time. And the Holy Spirit just sees, uh, in knowledge, the Holy Spirit just sees the holiness of the situation. Um, I had this encounter with a neighbor a few about a month ago, and she was very mean. And uh, it was based on her interpretation of me, which was totally wrong. And then yesterday, as I was listening to the talk, I was walking my dog, and I saw her, and I watched my ego mind interpreting her. The Holy Spirit doesn't think like that. 
I, I caught it right away that my holiness is my salvation. My unloving thoughts in that moment instantly recognized that want, they wanted to go into an interpretation. That's the difference of perception and knowledge. You know, my, I'm blessed as a child of God because I have a guide and the Holy Spirit is teaching us, teaching me, to um, not put my belief in the ego thought system and to recognize when it's operating and to keep it simple. For me, it's just keep it simple. If it's an unloving thought, I just offer it to God. Unfortunately, right now, I'm like a little overwhelmed by how much ego there is constantly, how much wrong thinking there is. It's kind of overwhelming, but um, I loved the reading today very much. I especially appreciated that it discussed mythology because um, one of my spiritual friends, kind of somebody who's very highly revered astrologer and so on, he always pointed me in the direction (coughs) of reading about myths. And for some reason, in the middle of the night, a couple nights ago, I went to my library and I pulled a few books up the shelf and one of them was a book on myths. And it made so much sense, the explanation of it in this, in this reading. It's just so clear that the ego is trying to explain its origin and write its story. And... Uh, the other thing I really appreciated in this reading today was that the belief, the ego is always, um, that its belief is that it's completely on its own. That's the, the foundation, that it believes it is completely on its own. And to me, that seems very, very huge, just that statement. You know, again, it goes back to authorship. No, God created me, and I'm not on my own. So if when my ego comes up, I could just cut it at the the foundation right there. I must be believing I'm on my own if I'm interpreting this this way. Anyway, you know, thank you very much. I'm complete. Thank you, Karen. Thank, oh, thank you. you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. I like to, I like to hang on to that, hang on to that one, that one sentence at the end of paragraph twenty-nine. Once we're aware of all that ego thinking, it can be very daunting. But I just love how he ends that paragraph with "Be patient a while, and remember." The outcome is as certain as God, you know, that um, we will awaken and we will realize heaven as a state of mind. That outcome is certain. While it seems daunting right now, I like to hang on to that. I'm complete. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thanks, Laurie. Oh, thank you, Laurie. You know, that's so true. It's so, as Jesus tells us, it's so, ego is so specific and it's a laundry list it's of seeming things we 
we are guided to remember about the ego and to realize that we don't want it. But um, there's only, I can think of just one thought that brings everything into clarity for me, and that's where Jesus says in Scripture, my Father and I are one. And it's already happened. It's already true. It's always been true. It never changes. It covers everything, <laughs> you know. Um, and I can forget all about the ego's laundry list. And I just have to bring that thought to mind. And, um, you know, truth will just erupt in my mind and restore my sanity. You know, it's uh, my father and I are one, and I'm one with all of you guys. And all of a sudden, there's my sanity. <laughs> I'm complete. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. This is Charles here. I'd like to add on to what Karen's saying about being influenced by my surroundings and the environment I find myself in. My greatest challenge for myself nowadays is coming to realize uh, one of the greatest blocks I have um, to the awareness of love's presence is frustration. Um, it seems that something that I've experienced ever since the womb until now, coming in from the womb, the frustration, uh, frustration within the family, I grew up in the frustration that I inspired in others and I drew out of others. And it just seems so overwhelming, so daunting. And even my understanding, as I share my understanding of things, I still have a feeling of frustration in my understanding. So this is where I'm at at the moment. And... I can appreciate when Karen says how influenced we are of the environment we find ourselves in. So I just thought I'd share that right now. So this is why I'm staying quiet at the moment because I'm trying not to share my <laughs> frustration. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. It is, um, this story again, it is very difficult and, and he says this is why um, giving up the ego mechanism must be perceived as painful because um, how many years have we been writing this story of my life? <laughs> you know, a long time I've been writing this story and I'm very attached um, to the characters that I have uh, written for all the participants in my life. And um, this is also uh, becoming aware of how I'm thinking is a good thing. You know, to the ego, oh my God, I had no idea. Um, but to truth, becoming aware 
of all my mistaken ideas, thoughts, perceptions, and fictions is actually a very, very good thing because without awareness, um, I'm blind. I'm just blind to how my behavior is influenced by the fiction I write. Becoming aware of it gives me my key to freedom, and I'll tell you the way I do it, I've said it many times, is when elements of the story come to my mind, I instantly say, I don't know. Um, because that fiction writing goes on in, in the background constantly, 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 making judgments. But he says in this reading, once I become aware that I'm making judgments, I can let that go. And that's the same as letting my story go. That's the same as freeing my mind from the ego thought system. Because he says clearly, without judgment, the ego cannot exist. <clears throat> that's great news to me. Because the instant I become aware I'm making a judgment as part of my story, oh, I don't know. My story does. <laughs> my story knows everything. My ego knows everything it thinks. But when I realize I'm writing that story, I can say, I don't know. And I'm instantly released from my wrong-mindedness. Because without judgment, wrong-mindedness can't exist. He says the way to be free is call upon the ego for nothing. Well, I have no idea how often I'm calling upon the ego, except as in, I hear my story. I hear the story. I hear the story. You know, I remember the first year I became aware of this, I was so appalled. I mean, I was just overwhelmed and appalled with what I made of myself. And uh, and I, I took that sense of deep remorse to holiness. Oh my God, you know. Oh, he said, I heard clearly in my mind. I wrote it in my book because I heard it so clearly. So I'll never part with this book. <laughs> he reassured me with certainty that one day I will leave ego behind and rather than feeling bereft, I will know only joy. And to me, that's the essence of this section. That I will know only joy and blessing when I'm able to exit that story, recognizing it's the one I wrote and I don't need it. I don't need it to navigate my way with the Holy Spirit. So, anyway. Now I think I've said everything I wanted to say. I'm complete. Oh, thank, thank you, Lori. Thank you, sir. Love that. Thank you.
This is Lemoyne. No, not really. I'm really tempted to tear into the whole question about science. And inventiveness versus creativity would perhaps make first create. Um. <laughs> Let me just set that down for a second and and turn to something that I, you know I read this a few more than well maybe just a few times, but several times, for quite some time before I realized that I was projecting something on the first sentence in 25 where it says each man makes one ego for himself and one for everyone he perceives. And I always had that saying, one for each one perceives. So we got the whole set of egos that we're trying to manage in our mind. All these separate people, but I think from the ego's viewpoint, it, there really is a, an underlying simplification that it is using to project onto the world in that, in that viewpoint of believing myself to be separate and alone. Then <clears throat> what it's really talking about there, I think it's just two egos, really, and to get, that makes the point that he is making there um, very clear, that just like I will act without without thought or desire to do it, I'll act differently in different circumstances <clears throat> toward the way I perceive other people. Uh, or towards other people, depending upon the way that I perceive them and what I perceive my role is, these things. The way I, my persona seems to vary and does in its expression um, and how variable that is. But just the, the immense <clears throat> variability of, uh, you know, what, say, for an example is this, this one ego made for what I think he doesn't say it directly, but that this is the other. One ego for the other, for example, with the name Madonna covers both. The name will cover both the pop star and, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Mother of Christ. And it's like the in that perception, you can see just how far um, willing to change my perception of other people in separating them off other ego, which is based entirely on the projection. I'm separate and long. They are too. They're other to me. And then it can make anyone appear any way, really in that variability and it's not a really uh, you know the unreality of it really becomes clear in that viewpoint that we're actually stretching one ego whose true name name is maybe other 
and uh, <clears throat> well, uh, maybe not true name, but a more accurate name would be other. And uh, and then it just it can do anything, you know, and mix and match, and contain good and bad, and it's all about projecting what I would see onto the other person um, and, uh, and projecting interpretation onto someone who is actually much more alike to me than just the errors that I say. Okay, yeah, we all see certain things that are errors. We're really alike in our being. And, uh, <clears throat> and in relationship, you know, this thing that we're separate and alone is, is always proven between the relationship of these two egos in the mind, but they're just in the mind. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm complete. I'll stop there. Thank you, LeMoyne. I'm so glad you brought up projection. That was great. That'll be a lively after call discussion, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you, LeMoyne. Thank you, LeMoyne. Anyone else want to share on this section this morning? Or on today's lesson? Well, I wanted to say I love this lesson. Um, I love it for its frequency. Every 10 minutes, six times an hour. How many hours in a day? How many times? How many times can I remind my mind to say thank you? You know, when I realize I'm blessed, uh, my mind goes straight to gratitude. And there's a wonderful, wonderful thing about gratitude. Um, as as an element or an aspect of the grace of truth, gratitude, when I say thank you, thank you, thank you, I am blessed, thank you, has a way of absolutely 100% turning my mind away from scarcity toward abundance. It's another key to freedom when I recognized how much, and I don't mean things, I mean how much uh, joy is inherent in being a child of God. I'm not alone. I have no need to compare. I'm free. 
I'm absolutely and utterly free when I recognize my source. I'm free of the burden of writing a story. I'm free of the burden of wondering what I am. Um, That horrible, awful burden of judgment um, where I have to control and decide and and, um, navigate my way through uncertainty. Um, I am blessed as a son of God. The more often I remind myself, the more aware I become of my abundance. And um, it's a sure way for me, even even in the throes of something intolerable, um, or what I would otherwise have considered intolerable, to say thank you. Thank you, I'm blessed. I'm blessed as a child of God. Uh, turns my mind exactly in the right direction and fills me. Um, reminds me that I am effect. I am an effect of source. I don't have to decide what I am. I don't have to guess or invent or come up with or otherwise um, be uncertain. Lana likes to say, turn your mind to God. And gratitude always does it. The more often I remind myself, um, the more I'm automatically directed in in exactly the way he says, the mind has only one way to go. I have a natural, I have a natural ability innate, something in me that knows and when I remind myself how blessed I am, I have access to that. And it makes me happy. So, every 10 minutes or more often, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm blessed. It's a very, very excellent lesson. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you. Yeah, I love it too. Beautiful. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Laurie. Well, if there's no further shares... I thought to um, thought to close this call this morning with um, why vision is so important. Vision is the exit from the ego thought system. He says it's a source of a source of miracles. So, from the vision of Christ, correction is for all who cannot see. To open the eyes of the blind is the Holy Spirit's mission. For he knows that they have not lost their vision but merely sleep. He would awaken them from the sleep of forgetting to the remembering of God. Christ's eyes are open and he will look upon whatever you see with love if you accept his vision as yours. 
the Holy Spirit keeps the vision of Christ for every son of God who sleeps. In his sight, the Son of God is perfect, and he longs to share his vision with you. What is one cannot be perceived as separate, and the denial of the separation is the reinstatement of knowledge. That's the essence of today's lesson, the denial of the separation. The altar of God, the holy perception of God's Son, becomes so enlightened that light streams into it, and the Spirit of God's Son shines in the mind of the Father and becomes one with it. Very gently does God shine upon himself, loving the extension of himself, which is his Son. The world has no purpose as it blends into the purpose of God. For the real world is slipped quietly into heaven where everything eternal in it has always been. There the Redeemer and the redeemed join in perfect love of God and of each other. Heaven is your home, and being in God, it must also be in you. Amen. I hope everyone enjoys blessing today and being blessed. And I'm blessed by this beautiful call and every every mind that rings up to join us. And so, thank you, everyone. Hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you, Laurie. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Laurie.